A short reading this morning this is from the Numerical Discourses, Book of the Threes, Sutta 23, Sankara, here translated as volitional activities. That's uh, one of these words that's got many translations and formations is another one you often see. As it's uh, sankara is both an activity and a kind of a program. So it's a, it's a kind of continuing activity that creates a particular form, like a current. You know, so you might say a river is both an activity of water running, but also acquires a certain form or consistency. So sankaras are these kind of rivers, if you like, that run through us, our experience, our awareness. More details later. Three kinds of persons living in the world. Um, Here, because some person generates afflictive bodily activities, afflictive verbal activities and afflictive mental activities, in consequence is reborn in an afflictive world. When he's reborn in an afflictive world, afflictive contacts touch him. Being touched by afflictive contacts, he feels afflictive feelings, exclusively painful. As in the case of hell beings, someone else generates unafflictive bodily, verbal, mental activities, Reborn in an unafflictive world. Reborn in an unafflictive world, unafflictive contacts touch him. Being thus touched feels unafflictive feelings exclusively pleasant. As in the case of the devas of refulgent glory, still another generates bodily, verbal and mental activities that are afflictive and unafflictive. Reborn in a world is both afflictive and unafflictive. Um, in this case, uh, touched by unafflictive contacts, he feels both afflictive and unafflictive feelings, mingled pleasure and pain, as in the case of human beings. Some devas and some beings in the lower worlds, which you probably animals. So here's us, human beings, afflictive and unafflictive, contacts, challenged, rewarded, uh, gratified, um, wounded, <laughs> bruised and, and so forth, a mixture of stuff, reborn into this world or arising in this world, in this context. Mm. Mm. on account of particular sankara, volitional activities, volitional impulses, uh, energies, drives, that become habitual. And if we take this reference to be more immediate, uh, rather than something about a one-off birth, We can see in every day, uh, as um, we arise in a context of afflictive and unafflictive experiences, and a lot of it just seems random, beats me, you know, why it happens. (laughs) And how uh, even more curious when you're living with a group of people, seeming in the same context, same world, same situation. People are getting different degrees of painful and pleasant feeling and impulses and urgencies and around different things. This world is actually much more local and intimate than we uh, would normally believe it to be. In fact, uh, one of the famous sayings of the Buddha is that 
you find your world in this body with its consciousness, feelings and perceptions is this world so it takes it right down to something much more immediate and personal and about karma action and our action in this present moment generates particular impulses that go to places in your heart, mind, body, experience where you feel upset, distraught, overwhelmed uh, or lifted up, rejoicing, gladdened mm. in this very intimate experience here this is the world we enter in meditation this direct, immediate world it's giving you a good uh, perspective on rebirth and if you uh, get that understanding you probably could recognize well this is kind of what's going to keep going on for as long as I live unless I change it and then, well, if there is such a thing as a future birth this is the template this is the template right now you can get a good look at where you're going And so, of course, it always seems to be circumstances that are the problem, or other people, or weather, or something external beyond my control. That's the way it seems. Mm. Have you ever noticed you can be in a really very pleasant place, West Sussex, on a sunny day, garden day, bees buzzing round, flowers blooming, I'm feeling miserable I'm feeling disrespected I'm feeling oppressed I'm suffering immensely uh, you look around it's not, it's not yeah. oh it's because of him and her and this and that and what was on the schedule and so forth well, yeah, but that's the bits you that you that you picked up on. So the bits you picked up on, the bits you got activated by. You didn't get activated by a pleasant sunny morning. You just uh uh-huh. no, that, that was there, but it didn't really get you. It didn't really touch you. Uh, what you got activated by was the boiler breaking down, or the maintenance man not turning up, or this person not doing the chores on time, that's what got you. And, you know, the sunny day, the dharma, you know, all that just disappeared off the, off the map. And your world becomes the things that concern and bother you, and of course, excite you and worry you. Not really direct sense contact at all. Mm. On an objective level, but very much filtered by what gets you contact. And contact, in this sense, is not just superficial, that which touches your body, but that which touches your heart. And that's that's the problem, or the, the nub of it, that which touches your heart. When is your heart turned? When does it turn? Where does it search for its stability, constancy, reliable, smooth, comfortable, orderly, going the my way in a good way, in a profitable way? And what is it search for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> how many of those searches are fruitful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always what's being presented, isn't it? You make this version, computer software, life's going to be easy, 
problem-free, faster, dynamic, powerful, exciting, things. what is it? Another snarl-up. <laughs> Can't figure out what's going wrong. Something's snapped, something's broken down, they've got a password, another set of hassles. Where did they go? No, that's, that's the way it is, you know. And it will change, it's impermanent, it will break down. For something you can be absolutely 100% rock solid certain about, no matter what they say, it will break down. I need your rules, <laughs> all conditions. <laughs> so, our search for security, reliability, comfort, agreeable, everything flowing in that level, or just blame computer software, it's like it's everywhere, <laughs> conditioned realm. Is going to get us into sort of pretty rocky territory. Sometimes it'll be fine, and it will break, change, yeah. and then you go, "Oh no, I was relying on that. Well, don't rely on it. It's a, it's a remedy. So what can you rely on? You know, you start to run short, don't you? you look around, world governments, no, Poland, no." Services, no. Trains, no. <laughs> Transport, no. Car, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you just get nothing to rely on, no. The Buddha, in this very body, is also the way out of the world. So, this is through really understanding and moderating and stilling and quietening. Uh, sankara. This is sublime, this is peaceful. That is the stilling of Sankara. Mm. The relinquishment of one's attachments. Dispassion, detachment, destruction of craving, ceasing, Nibbana. Mm. Stilling of Sankara. So, yeah. I was sort of saying, what well, is this Sankara? seems pretty crucial actually, because this is the stuff that gets us going. And there's something um, about that that also means it keeps steering us into very familiar areas where I feel, you know, something wrong with me or people don't treat me right, I'm always like this, I'm stuck with that. I'm, you know, I'm this kind of a person. It keeps defining me in my world. Very, there's something so unerring about that. Mm. And how is this? Because of contact means feeling. Feeling means a heightening of energy. Pleasant or unpleasant, it always heightens. Therefore, it attracts the jitta. Oh. Suddenly this thing stands out. Oh, what happens when the jitta is attracted? It starts to vibrate. And then these impulses, movement, sankara. It's called mental volition. It's actually not a psychological or, emo- or rational process. It's an emotional process. It's a reactive reflex, an emotional process. I worry. Yeah. I get excited. I plan. I crave, I fear, I rejoice. Something jumps up. That's sankara. If it jumps up, where is it going to go? Where's it going to go? First thing it's going to go. It's going to. Where do I? Where do I? Where's, where's the? Where's that supposed to go? You know, in other words, where is that uh, thing that the worry? You know, something strikes me and I feel uncertain. It rushes towards a familiar place called our worry place, or our fear place, or our frustration place, or our ambition place, or our you know, loving kindness place, of course. You know. It rushes to these places. So you've got these places, territories, these are established through perceptions. Simple example is build up. Yeah. So you're two years old and you sort of fooling around with things, you something called a dog and you sort of squeeze it and it bites you. Oh 
perception, dog pain. Dogs are nasty, painful, vicious creatures. It's established. Mm-hmm. Right, so you fear, dog fear. You don't see dog feel of fear. You feel that fear of being bitten. But maybe after a while, your mum or your dad comes along. You think, look, you treat it like this. It's it's quite pleasant. It's a lovable creature. Oh, it shifts a bit. Suddenly you get dog isn't always it's like this, so it's mingled. Yeah. It's no longer fixed as a source of terror. But you get then you get some sense of treat this with respect. It moderates your sankara. You don't establish a fixed perception of the dog being always lovable or always vicious. It's just if you kick it <laughs> it's liable to do this. If you stroke it, it's liable to do that. This moderates your sankara, your activations are then moderated, you learn something. Next thing you learn is dog dies. So then it's no longer vicious or friendly, it's impermanent. That moderates your sankaras too. You don't hold on to the perception of dog as something you can rely upon or even, you know, uh, a sense that we live lightly, respectfully, moderate sankara, this stilled, no longer so impulsive, you care for, and what you generate is respect. As you know, if you just act carelessly, you either act in an afflictive way or you act in an attached way. So it's Non-attachment doesn't mean dismissing, it means respect for things to be as they are. It's going to moderate. It's the dispassion, detachment, cessation of craving, relinquishment of fixed perceptions of dog. And of course, we <laughs> have very complex lives. Dogs are quite easy, they human beings. Big ones, small ones, men, women, different shapes, different sizes. Attractive, repulsive, frightening, gladdening, encouraging, welcoming, intimidating. Yeah. And so any one of these can happen. And so then we, our mind got these kind of rushes off to these different directions. Is he one of those? Is he one of these? Is he one of these today? Is she being like that today? Is she being like my mother today? Or is she being like my friendly cousin today? Mixed messages, isn't it? So who is this person who establishes fixed perceptions of people and then loss of real respect in that sense of don't know but whatever it is Treat it with respect, moderate your, your actions, your reactions. That will be for your welfare, and it'll probably be for their welfare. This is just, this is how you're learning. But of course, the compulsion is to establish things permanent. I know exactly who you are, therefore, I've got a set of actions that I do. We search to become robots. So I don't have to be aware. <laughs> Just to get programmed in a set of serious, serious reactions, serious com- compulsions. So activations are not just um, volatile, they're also tremendously attractive. Give me the program. Yeah. Let me live on a whiteboard where everything is mapped out. Every action, every speech, every position, everything is utterly mapped. Then I don't have to be aware. <laughs> in a, in an open way. Something is... Because it's easier. Quicker, easier. And that's, that's the route which we choose to go down. That's why, of course, um, you know, technology is so attractive. Isn't it? Immediate, quick, powerful, 
but in fact it traps you. So you can't operate without it. And then it breaks down. And then you... Uh, all systems, life has been built around that. We've lost organic life. We've lost intimate life. We've exported our intimacy to a system, structure, a machine. And as long as it works, we trot along with it, but it will break down. And then, uh, what am I supposed to do? Uh, this is the uh, whole problem of, of attachment. You know, if, you, if there's something really reliable, then great, get it, hold on to it. And in fact, that is the recommendation. But of course, the other uh, piece in the in the menu is yeah, there is that which is totally reliable, but the mechanism of attachment gets in the way of it. It's only realised through non-attachment. Uh, how do I get it? Well, you moderate your sankaras and it comes to you. You don't get it; it arrives. You realise it. It's a pretty much a traumatic turnaround. In that turnaround, the other aspect that Sankara generates generates a world I operate in. It also generates me as the actor in that world. Action generates not just an act, it generates an actor. The me who's doing it. The me will arrive somewhere, having done the right thing, I'll get to the right place. It generates me. It generates me who can't quite get it right, no matter how hard I try, because something wrong with me. Hmm? Well, maybe not. Maybe the problem is the Sankara is hindered by ignorance, delusion. Nothing wrong with you, it's the Sankaras that are confused, disorderly, uh, unmoderated, reckless, uninformed. And maybe they're going to the wrong places. Just rushing off into fantasies of what I should be, could be, the way the world is going to be if I got it right. If I got it right, the world would be fine. So it's up to me. Well... Who's that? So you see in uh, Satipatthana teachings you don't really have any any um, self-recollection. Recollection, yeah? Awareness arises with the experience of form. Wherever I am, I'm in, I'm in a something. Some occupy some space I, as a form. As feeling, that occurs, definitely. Feeling the perception, something means something, something's interpreted, that, that arises. There's volition, there's activation, there's an impulse arises. There's consciousness, suddenly awareness floods out through sight, sound, touch, hearing, thinking, tasting, you know. There's all that. Yeah, and there's a lot of action around that. A lot of residues get laid down, what's agreeable and disagreeable, where to go. But what? But who? Doesn't get laid down. It's imagined. So in Satipatthana we see these reflections on body as one of the basis of form, feeling, which also includes perception, that which triggers feeling. Something means something, therefore we feel, because we feel something, an interpretation happens. Because I feel displeasure, 
I think you're an unpleasant person. That happens. When I see you, who I define as an unpleasant person, I feel a certain feeling. <laughs> and that goes on. <laughs> yeah. And then what else is there? Chitta. Chitta. Heart. Or mind. And uh, chitta. So it's all the description is, is, is what it's affected by. Or affected by passion. Or not affected by passion. Affected by aversion. Or not affected by aversion. Affected by delusion. Or not affected by delusion. So these, these effects... Okay. That's the first level of it. Second level of it is because of those effects, the chitras are constricted, restricted, or scattered. So the shitta has a kind of a coherence or a shape to it. Yeah. So because of these effects, second awareness we have is I feel scattered. Yeah. That's the chitra is scattered hmm? or I feel restricted, compressed overwhelmed tightened hemmed in, regimented that you feel it's compressed it has a certain shape to it that's either compressed or not compressed scattered or not scattered that's the second aspect of Jitta, third aspect it can be elevated, like it's bright, serene, open. It's, got, it's also got an altitude, if you like. It can rise, or not. It's, it's called the great jitta, the expansive jitta. It can be wide open and, and light and brilliant, or not. So it also has a certain altitude, you could say a certain ability to, to um, expand, or not expand. And then liberated or not liberated, you can either be stuck onto something or having released it. And this liberation, in this sense, is not final liberation, although of course that is a liberation. But this means the mind was hanging on and it's dropped it. The mind was infected with ill will and animosity and it released it. So every time you get one of those, you were having a struggle, and poof, what's that feel like? Oh, yeah. You were in a conflictual situation, now you resolved it. Ah, what's that feel like? So noticing that, there is such a thing, both the effects, the shape, the elevation, and the, and the, the holding or the non-holding can be all experienced in jitta. Whereas in the effects, that is the passion, or there's a sense of self gets generated, because it's volitional. In the constriction, I am constricted, I'm overwhelmed, it's too tight, I'm tense, definitely gets activated. In the sense of, oh, I'm really having a great day, I'm spacious, I'm open, self gets generated. Liberation, no self gets generated. And I thought, that was good, how did I? Afterwards we think about it, but at that moment, that's the one where the sankaras stop. And there's no place, there's no world. There's no entity, there's no self, there's no world. That that can be momentary, it's called tatanga, momentary. And every time one was embroiled in a context, embroiled in in an argument, embroiled in a dilemma, and something drops it, you get this maybe just moment of, clarity and there's definitely an experience and it seems very central because every time any one of those experiences where it comes actually arrives at the same non-place and it's the same non-place of stable 
obvious, cool, not moving, something like, why aren't you always here? And then you're not. (laughs) Because something gets picked up again. The stilling of Sankara, that moment it... Okay? So how does that happen? Just recognizing, uh, well, for a start, these sankharas can be uh, here described as bodily, verbal, and mental. Let's do a revision of that. Bodily can be external body, physical action, internal body. If you're those somatic rushes through your nerves, your blood heats up, your chest contracts, your shoulders slump, you feel set back, you know, that's internal, right? You feel challenged and something you shrinks. You feel depressed and something you sinks. You feel annoyed, something you rises up, bristles, struggles. That's internal body, right? Volitional stuff happening there. Around that volitional stuff, I am. I am, you know, this, that, the other. You know, I am state, I notice attuned to all the painful qualities that, that reiterate and validate that state. I'm overwhelmed because of the washing up list. I'm overwhelmed because of the work rotor. I'm overwhelmed because my cousin's this and my auntie's this and I should have been that. And I'm all this data rush in that confirm the Sankara. It draws them in. You don't notice the blackbird singing. You don't notice the absence of pain in your feet. You don't notice your digestive system working perfectly. <laughs> you don't notice a hundred people around you are perfectly comfortable. You notice the things that conform to the afflictive state. That's <laughs> you arise in an afflictive world. It's it's pretty shocking, isn't it? Really. Uh, you see how flawless that analysis is. And then, of course, the heart is affected, and then we think. Verbal means also any kind of articulation, internal thinking, reminds us and goes whirling around that world. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the uh, verbal, the conceptual world is uh, huge and we can remember, we can calculate, we can interpret, uh, we can analyze, we can compare and contrast. All this happens in the verbal intellectual domain. So we can calculate all the problems, all the possibilities, the alternatives, where I could be would be better than this, Maybe if I was, you know, practicing Coptic Christianity in southern Egypt, it'd be fine. Because I haven't tried that yet. <laughs> um, don't think so. I think it'd be pretty much the same after about a week. <laughs> uh, you know, you can conceive all the things. But where does that con- conceiving come from? What's the sankara agitation? Restlessness, craving. Follow that, you will arrive in a world of restlessness and craving. It's pretty logical how it occurs. But our thinking mind, we can still conjure up wonderful notions, uh, this, that, and the other, promises, and so forth. So, okay, maybe. So, let's just actually feel that. Where do you feel it? You feel it in your heart. You feel the heart rise with anticipation or excitement or disappointment or frustration. You see, so there's the trajectory. Following that trajectory, there being an agent, a person, me, it cannot be the case that you'll arrive outside that 
it'll arrive outside of that. Outside of that model. You'll be another me in another context following the same patterns. Because the pattern has not been challenged at all. It's been it's been given another run. This is why Sangsara is so endless. The wandering on. Because our minds are fantasizing and we follow it and they fantasize in accordance with heart conditions of uncertainty, sorrow, frustration, craving. Truly, qualities one should have sympathy for but certainly not to launch programs from. So, Jitta Sankara, let's just deal with the frustration or the craving and then take it from there. Let's see what arises from there. Since these are Surely energies and qualities you don't wish to continue. Let's see what happens if you quell those. And where is that going to happen? So because the body has its own uh, system, we can come out of our psychologies and mental realms by returning to the Kaya Sankara, it's called the bodily activation which is this analysis has been seen to be that which can be afflictive. We get depressed or worried, rattled, restless, agitated and so forth. This is when it's just following. But the Buddha said that well there is one kind of sankara that's exceptionally helpful in working way out of this conundrum. It's called breathing in and out. Is this Kaya Sankara liberates because that's not a fantasy it's immediate you don't have to crave it you can't stop it it happens you don't have to cling to it because it happens whether you cling to it or not so that clinging is kind of redundant in fact clinging tends to make a problem out of it you can set yourself up open, restful to allow it and to stay with it. And the, in order to do so, <laughs> when it's a gift, it's free, it has a calming and moderating effect, it's intimate, it's definitely a big feature of your form your experience of form, your experience of feeling, your experience of perception, your experience of sankara, and your experience of consciousness. So it's definitely in there, and it runs through all of those, but it's, it's agreeable, and it's also not self. It happens. You don't have to breathe. It happens. It doesn't require some act of the will to get it going. So, action relieved of an actor. And that's a particular moderation. It was relieved of an actor. What does that mean? It means we're not craving for some result. And this is really the uh, kind of challenge because the way we operate, we tend to assume we've got to use some willpower to breathe, to meditate, we call it meditating. Focusing. I'm going I'm to focus on breathing and 
try to go through these steps and stages and arrive somewhere. Totally understandable. And even in terms of language, yeah, that's true. Uh, except as you get more used to it, the less and less me and will are involved, the better it's going to get. The more we can get the body to do the breathing and just something as our hearts can sit back and enjoy it, the better it gets. The less I'm setting up goals, the quicker I get results. They come to me. The more I can get out of the way, the more this liberation experience can come to me because it's not something I can get or have. I can moderate my activities to the point where it can arrive. That's a different, subtle cultivation, isn't it? Now it's not that willpower and effort is unnecessary, but there's definitely a cut-off point. When you're getting too tense, too pushy, too frustrated, too ambitious, too complicated, say, no, this isn't it. No, this this isn't it. Just just try to just sit, stand, and arrange your body in a way that is most cooperative to experience breathing. And the act of the the will is just to keep returning to it and relaxing the emotion. It's called sati to recollect, to return and linger. Return, linger, enjoy, appreciate, explore. That's your action. Uh, this is the enlightenment factors. So we have sati and then dhamma Explore. How does this feel? How is this? So this always is kind of enhancing the heart's bonding and immersion into the breathing. Kind of sankara. And through this one interrupts those compulsive reflexes, heart reflexes of worry, planning, concern, agitation, ill will, you you interrupt those. Instead this. And it cleans. And we begin to realise there's a better place we can be at. That is supportive for complete letting go. And all that's there. Because if you follow the experience of breathing fully, you notice there's a certain firmness to it. It doesn't drift. It's actually very firmly centered on a particular process of inhalations, exhalations. Your body's held by it, can be held upright by it. It affects your spine, it affects your carriage, deportment, chest. So it's definitely got some firmness. It's got some uh, gentle warmth to it. And it's invigorating, but calming. It's refreshing, it feels pleasant. And the jitter is made expansive through that. It moderates. And you notice that uh, these uh, process of breathing is both inhalation, which is the arising, 
which ends breathing out which is the releasing, cleaning letting that ends and you have the ends the ends of the breath so the ending last second or so the breathing is often the most acutely sensitive the energy is dwindling dwindling it goes and it goes out and then it comes back and those places where it goes out are places where our mind wanders or we don't even notice it or we're planning for the next one trying to get it right but actually the going out is a very important part because this is rebirth where one lifespan has ended you're in rebirth, you're in bardo can you be open in that for that microsecond for that half second, for that second not be planning the next enjoy the space and on a physiological level the more one can linger in that the breathing process becomes quieter subtler more satisfying till the movement of the breathing kind of subsides and in something that's just gently very gently pulsing slowly pulsing extremely uh, stable and the mind then in order to be with it the mind just cannot be with that unless it's dropped a whole lot of strategies so it's psychologically liberating and this is the way that the Buddha's path was like this Mm. Uh, so of course this is the work of years to undo so much Mm. or what seems so much it's not to be underestimated But remember the world of the past, the future, the identity, the complexities of family life, of roles and positions, seemingly so vast, actually held on three threads bodily sankara, verbal sankara, mental sankara, heart sankara. Any of those go, the world disappears. All that goes. Any of that is stilled, it changes. Even the stilling of the heart, the calming of it, we look at our sense of conflict with a more sympathetic and, oh well, <laughs> less frantic state, oh well, everybody gets this, and okay, time to be patient and compassionate. Just that degree of stilling of the heart sankara, suddenly the world is no longer a log jam, it's just, well, yeah, life is like this, and it'll change, and I'll just stay steady where I am. So even that, changing, the weight of it changes, and the sense of being hopelessly enmeshed in it changes, because you found out even that degree of moderation I'm just cooling, steadying the heart within the body. Suddenly you're not completely enmeshed in all that. You realise you can witness it, but you're not in it. You can be sympathetic towards it, but at the same time you're not thrashing around trying to solve it. That's a degree of liberation. Just the quelling of the compulsiveness of the heart to engage in that way that's the stilling of sankara so this is how you can just pragmatically recognize how the massive seemingly ponderous world of circumstance and the seemingly you know trapped being where their complexities and their history and their definitions and their self-referencing 
It's actually only constructed by three threads of activation. If you interrupt, still stabilize, calm any of those, it's going to shift. But you have to, this is why the so important to really understand the underpinnings of one's existence rather than all the details. You know, if you've got a, a, a wearing a sweater with all kinds of complicated patterns on it, you only have to pull one thread long enough, it'll fall apart. <laughs> Doesn't matter how much embroidery is on it, how intricate, how dense, how complex that weave is. Just pull one or two threads, it's going to loosen. This is meditation practice. So, using the body to act as something that can stabilize and disengage from the proliferating complexities of the heart and mind, and the heart recognizes it, Uh tunes into it. Thinking mind has to be directly steered back to it. This is sati, placing attention, lingering, evaluating. How is this? Dwelling in it, acknowledging the results. That person, oh well, yeah, I think she has problems, or I have a problem. Let's just be kind. Rather than I'm right, she's wrong, or she's like this, she's one of those. I think we need some kindness here. Don't we all? So let's take some time for direct practice. <laughs> 